Welcome to Beyond Bite Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards & Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards & Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards & Associates PC, our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. In today's episode, we will be talking about what to ask a DSO before you decide to sell. Within the studio, we have a very special guest. His name is Todd Wilson with Star Dental Partners. Hey, Todd. Hi there. How's it going? Good, good. Thank you. Yeah. And of course, we have our regular Robert. <coughs> yep, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's nice to have you here. There were a couple of episodes where you were gone. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, everybody's entitled to vacation. That's also true. That's also true. And it and is when, summer. And when it's summer in Dallas, I want to be somewhere else. Right. Someplace cooler, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Right. <laughs> so, all right, Todd, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Yeah. So, again, my name is Todd Wilson. I work for a company here locally in uh, the DFW area. Uh, we are headquartered in Plano, uh, right off of 121 and the tollway. Our company was formed in 2019. We are backed by a very large private equity firm based out of Chicago, Illinois, by the name of Tyree D'Angelo Partners. I personally have been in the dental field for 28 years. I was a former merchandise and equipment salesman for Henry Schein Dental. So I know the, the dental market space very well and decided to, to make the transition and jump into the DSO uh, world, if you may, if you may, uh, just kind of seeing where this whole landscape has been shifting the ground, shifting underneath my feet, uh, having the experience of having uh, multiple offices sell out to DSOs, having attrition myself when I was with Henry Shine. So uh, at some point, I just said, "Hey, uh, if you can't beat them, join them." And uh, <laughs> it's 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 one of those things to where. Over the years, I um, you know wanted to be able to have an exit strategy myself, just like most dentists do. I'm 59 years of age today and had a, had a plan to retire at 65, and this was kind of my path to do that. Okay. Do you say today? 59 today? No, 59 as of a couple oh, weeks ago. Okay. I yeah. thought, why would you be here on your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, I appreciate you being here, but yeah. I, if it's your birthday, I can excuse you. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd still do it for you, Robert. I promise you. Uh, well, he did say a couple of weeks ago, so happy yeah. belated birthday. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. So in another half a year, you can start taking retirement distributions with no penalty. <laughs> well, I didn't know about that whole uh, 55 years of age where you can dip into your 401k. Right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that kind of yeah. uh, was a very appealing Well, it's to good me. that you didn't know that. You know, yeah, so, leave that money there. Right. <laughs> Take the advice from, your, from the CPA. That's right. Oh, nice. All right. So, you know, talking about DSOs, you know, that's, that's a term that we've been hearing a lot something a lot of our clients are talking about. Yep. We get questions all the time. You know, they come to me and they say, well, I've been approached by a DSO. And frankly, I think a lot of it is dollar signs. So Todd, tell us from DSO viewpoint, what should they be looking at 
you know, in considering selling to a DSO, not what are they looking at, that's the dollars, right. what should they be looking at? Um, well, there's, there's certain criteria that we look at, which I would hope that they would be looking at. But to your point, let me just kind of address the one thing that you point out. Most doctors, when they hear DSO, they think of like a high multiple. They think of, you know, their exit and it's just the right time, especially if they, you know, have a high revenue office and their EBITDA, their net profitability is very strong. You know, I think they're very savvy enough to think that they could probably have an exit and get a high multiple for their practice is is what they're thinking about. But really what they should be thinking about is FIT, which we think about, F-I-T. Every DSO is not created equal, uh, number one. There are some good DSOs out there and there's some bad DSOs out there, just like um, in the dental world. There's not so good dentists and there's not so many. Any profession that you see, you're going to have that. And so we really aspire to be the DSO out there that is going to custom tailor a a fit for each doctor is what we look for. And so we're hoping that we match up with that doctor that we're talking to to fit his need the same way. Whatever it may be looking for, to your point earlier about if a doctor wants to, you know, have a little better work-life balance and he wants a little bit more of vacation, right? We can always put that into the contract. We call it a value creation plan moving forward, and that's part of our custom tailoring uh, proposal that we have for our doctors. So just in a nutshell, again, going back to what they should be looking for, I feel like is that company that's best suited for them. Offer-wise, fit-wise, culturally-wise, everything on down the road, because at the end of the day, they're leaving their patients to, you know, a company such as us to run it after they're gone, right? And so if legacy is important, if their staff's important, there's certain criteria that way, we look to fulfill those needs. Okay. And I think a lot of times, you know, they want to make sure their patients are taken care of. But, you know, I think the doctor is going to continue to work there for a while, right? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So our minimum right now is three years. Uh, When we very first started this company in 2019, it was five years. Uh, But we've backed that down. And as, 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 as the company gets larger, we can take on more risk. Okay, so then we can back it down to a three year like structured deal on their earn out money. But maybe if they want to work longer, that's fine. We want them there as long as they want to be there, because at the end of the day, what are we truly partnering with that doctor and the goodwill to practice? And so you would allow them. I mean, this is a yes or no question, I guess. But would you allow them then to cut back after three years? Maybe they don't want to work four days a week anymore. Maybe they want to work three days or you know, after another year, maybe they don't want to work two days. And then how do you make up the difference? You bring in another associate or what? Yeah. So again, that's structuring the value creation plan on the forefront. So if we know, if we can structure to where that doctor tells us, hey, you know, I'll do a, I'll do a five-year deal with you. But the, at the end of two years, I want you guys to start looking for an associate to backfill my position. Then I want to back out to three days a week. And then in year three, I want to back down to two days a week. In year four, I want to be a one day a week. So that could be a strategy that we put together to fulfill his needs and our needs because ultimately what we have to do we got to make sure that the business continues to go along right yeah so whatever associate we bring in we've got to make sure we can feed him all right he or her in the practice to make it a sustainable practice moving forward but to your point yes is that something that we could do for the doctor absolutely if he says that i want to do it in year four i still want to earn my comp up until year four But then I'm willing to to really step it back after year four. But I want you guys to have already that in place at year four to go on. Okay. Yep. And, you know, a lot of the comments I hear from clients are, you know, 
I'm tired of working with the administrative side of the practice. I'm tired of hiring and disciplining and dealing with the employees and the patient's note showing. How involved do you guys get in the administrative side of a practice? So from every level, from the HR to the payroll, to the marketing, to the recruiting, to the staffing recruiting, every aspect of the management side we are involved with. So from day one of partnership, the doctor has no longer has to deal with making sure that anybody is going to be fired or we want him or her to come to us and then we do all the firing or the hiring. Okay. Uh, we take care of all the payroll. All I have to do is submit the invoices to us so we can do the payroll and then we do all the marketing aspect of the practice. So we try and bring them on onto our platform. If they don't have a platform, that's best, right? If they didn't have a website, so we bring them on our platform, create a website and SEO presence for them. But if they do slowly, we surely we start migrating them over to our platform. To where they don't have to do any of the marketing campaigns, don't have to do any of the, the mailers or anything that they don't want to. But if they want to contribute, if they want to stay involved in doing that, they have the ability to do that with us. And how do you determine a marketing budget for these practices? Because I know they may not be doing any marketing right. or they may do, be doing very little because it, it, it's tough to see the value in marketing because it's money you have to spend before you see a benefit. And doctors don't like to do that typically. Sure. So how do you guys determine how to develop a marketing program for a, a specific practice. So when we're, when we're going through underwriting, looking what the, the practice is, is valued at, we will normally allocate anywhere from a 1.5 to 3% percentage of revenue in, in the marketing budget. Typically, a fee-for-service practice, from what I've seen in the past when we're going through underwriting, doesn't do a whole lot of marketing. Uh, they do a lot of have a lot of uh, growth organically in, in the practice, so they don't feel like they need to. More PPO offices have done uh, marketing in the past. But to answer your question, we evaluate it in that way. We, of course, do want to include a percentage of marketing, whatever it may be. It could be a small amount. It could be even a little bit larger amount. we got to make sure that we're trying to bring patient flow into the practice. What's your growth goal? Is it different for every practice or is it the same for all of them? Oh. I mean, is there a certain percentage you guys are looking for? Uh, I wouldn't say a certain percentage. We, you know, whatever we do partner with, we want to make sure we can grow. We want to make sure we have access to care. We want to make sure we have enough operatories to grow, right? Operatories is a big consideration in how, when we take a look at a practice. And there's a couple other considerations that I'll mention here too. But as far as growing the practice, I mean, yeah, if, if an operatory has or if a practice has five operatories or another practice has 10, you're going to have more growth opportunity than 10 operatory practice, independent on geographical area of it, the recruitability of it and all that. There's, there's a lot of criteria that play into that. But to put a pin on how much we want to grow it, I, I don't think there's really just a number or a percentage. We want to grow every practice. Okay. Okay. I guess I'm also curious about like, so when a dentist decides to sell the practice to a DSO, what remains the same and what changes? Great, great question. So <clears throat> nothing, and I, and, I, and I caveat this, really nothing changes for the doctor. Clinically, it does the same. We're not rebranding the practice. We're not here to disrupt the flow of anything that goes on from his day-to-day operations. The hygienist won't know a difference. The assistants won't know the difference. The only person that really would stand out that's going to notice a difference is the office manager. She's going to be tasked with a few more job responsibilities. And what, are the, what does that look like for us? That basically makes sure that 
the staff members are clocking in, clocking out because we do have a ADP payroll system that they will be doing that through. And it's through a computer system. It's not actually a machine on the wall. It's through the computer system. Uh, and just making sure that whoever is submitting invoices to us, they're doing that on a daily basis or a weekly basis to make sure they're keeping up getting the invoice services so we can pay the bills. Without that, we can't pay the bills. Uh, making sure that they're keeping up with their PTO correctly, answering all the questions, or if they raise their hand and say, for instance, they have a vacuum, uh, uh, a vacuum compressor gone down or a vacuum pump or anything in the office that would prohibit them from doing dentistry. If the office manager raised their hand, speaks to the speaks to the RDO, uh, which is the regional director of operations for us, then they would be in constant communication with one another. So the way I see it is, is that the office manager becomes the quarterback of the operation for the office. We want the dentist to be involved and we want the office manager to be involved. The dentist to be involved at the level of we do what's called a monthly operating review. And the monthly operating review basically would go over numbers to make sure to where they have gone over uh, production collection goals and also too on where the doctor stands on his draw for the month and then for the quarter. And if we should be settling up with him or if he's deficit, then paying the money back right. <laughs> type of thing. I guess the big question is yeah. what if the office doesn't have an office manager? Great question too. So we do need an office manager in the practice and you could, you could label it any different ways if you want to, but we have to have a quarterback, right? We have to have a point person to go to in the practice. And that's, that's really true for all DSOs. Uh, I would think, and from what I've heard out there and seen is that somebody has got to be the point person in the practice. Gotcha. Can it be a front desk person? Someone who's been there a while? Sure. Yeah, it can be uh, as long as she's will he or he or she is willing to take over that role. Sure. And if the doctor thinks that they're capable of doing that. Yeah. Correct. Now here's another thing I get asked and I'm just curious. So uh, a lot of times clients may want to increase their salary before mm -hmm. selling to a DSO. Yep thinking that that's going to be the compensation going forward even after the sale so it, i guess i want you to clarify how that actually works if if they do that and i do ask that on the front end when was the last time you've given your your team members a raise mm -hmm. because that affects the underwriting that affects in that profitability if if they've done that then they should expect to probably get a little less for the purchase price of the practice the one thing that we do differently from other other DSOs, and I really like to pat ourselves on the back on this. We don't take any employee backwards, personally, in any of our locations once we've partnered. We do what's called a wage benefit analysis. And so as we're going through underwriting, we, fi we figure out kind of where they stand today. And if they have uh, benefited from a 401k with a doctor or a profit sharing plan with a doctor or anything that's given them a leg up more than what we would offer them, we try and make them whole. And what does that mean? That means like, for instance, if, a, if an assistant's paid 20 bucks an hour, okay? And we know that, but the doctor's offering a profit sharing plan that we don't offer, okay? Then we look to make them whole. So it could be now 23.50 an hour, okay? So we don't wanna ever take them backwards into a partnership because the number one reason why the patients leave a practice historically is staff turnover. So if you have staff turnover, once you partner, then you have an exodus of your patient base that you just purchased or you just partnered with. And so what's the good in that? I mean, so we really try and do right by the, by the team members, number one, 
because they are important just as well as the doctor is important to us. This doesn't have to be hard. If, if we partner all for the right reasons, it can be a win-win-win for everybody. And then let's talk about the equity portion okay. of a DSO deal. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are not aware of it, or if they are, they have this negative connotation attached well, to that. Well, I think they may be aware of it, but they're it's nebulous. They don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So explain it. So e- equity is is basically how I explain it. It's very simple. It's it's like shares in an IBM. It's like shares in Microsoft. It's like shares in NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange. It's in a holding company is, is how we are positioned. So whenever we offer equity shares into the holding company, which would be Star Dental Partners, that comes out of the purchase price of their practice. So for instance, if we value the business at a million dollars and we pay the doctor 600 cash up front. Okay. So cash at closing is 600. There's 400 remaining. So we could offer them a hundred thousand equity and 300 in an earn out and earn out over three to five years to where he can get his money. So the equity piece then is bought in shares, right? At today's fair market value. So if today's fair market value is $5 a share, you can do the numbers It's 20 shares. Okay. Of that, if it's on a hundred. So that's the actual number of shares that would be contributed into Star Dental Partners. And then when the company recapitalizes, which means sells, okay, which every DSO is is out there to do, it's, it, we are considered lower middle market, small cap uh, investing, and we do all the buy and the build, and then we're, we will be positioned to be sold to a mid cap or large cap private equity firm down the road. I have two questions from that. One, uh, continuing that line of thought on the equity, rollover equity. When they roll over equity, is that going into a big bucket or is that bucket just for that practice? No, it's going into a big bucket. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if it's going into just that practice, that's considered joint venture and we're not a JV model. We're 100% buyout. So are, are there some DSOs that are JV model? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah yeah yeah. There's there's plenty of them out there. MB two being here locally, they're a JV model. It's okay. Joint venture. So they you have equity ownership in your four walls. Okay. With us, you you're in a big bucket. So the doctor uh, would own the same shares as the private equity firm owns, and as I would own. Anybody okay. in the management team that has equity shares, it would be what's called Class B shares. Okay, and they are they are the same as the private equities shares, except they have Class A shares, which are voting right shares. Right, that's the only difference. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good to know. So they wouldn't continue to own equity in their own practice, their own four walls. Right. But they would have equity in um, the overall holding company, which is all the practices that you have acquired. That's correct. Okay. Good. Good to know. Yep. So the profitability of the overall holding company then would would depend on. What do they get from that? Do they ever get any dividends or distributions or anything? No, JV does. The, J, the JV kind of buyout way gives you gives you distributions okay. based on your equity in your four walls. Okay, got Correct. it. Good. Ash, you have anything? Yeah, I do actually. So I was also thinking about the clients that don't just own the practice, but also the building. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of times, you know, when they're operating, they sometimes set up the lease agreement where it's maybe tax beneficial or, you know, set up in a certain way, which helps the owner. Mm-hmm. So going forward, when the business is taken over, do you just take over the existing lease or is there a new lease agreement that is expected? 
Yeah, be- so we, we could do a, a lease assignment. A, a It's called a CAA, and the acronym's escaping me right now. It's uh, consignment uh, agreement. Assignment, something, agreement. I can't think of the name of it. But yes, we can do it that way. We can create a new lease. It depends. Most doctors, I'm finding out, don't have a lease with themselves. And so if they don't have a lease with themselves, then we'll just create a new lease. I'll vouch for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so we'll just create a new lease. And then we go through the negotiating piece of it. We find out what fair market value is in the area and then do a lease per square foot. And then typically, you know, we need a place to do dentistry. So we'll do a five-year with two five-year renewals. So for a doctor that owns his own property, it can be mailbox money, especially if it's paid off. It can be quite lucrative because we're going to be there a while, right? Right. It just depends if they want to manage the business. And I always tell doctors all the time, too, if you don't want to manage it, hire a management company and let them just take 10% off the top and you don't have to worry about anything. So I've had a few doctors take me up on that and have done it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Well, and if they're paying themselves, let's say what I call excessive rent. Yep then that doesn't hurt their EBITDA, right? Because you'll add that back and just subtract fair market value. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's okay, exactly good. right. That's kind of like a little pass-through for them as, as they're doing it, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, because we advise them sometimes to pay themselves you know, enough to be sheltered by the depreciation on the building. Right. But that may be $50 a square foot where the market might be 35 Correct. Yeah. And, but, but they have to be aware of that. So that's a conversation that I have to have because most of them are shocked when – you know, the price has come back and it's not what they thought. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, but you got the benefit of doing that because you owned the building. That's okay. correct. All right. Okay. That's good. I mean, honestly, that's what I'm thinking of the questions that the clients could ask. I've been getting a lot of questions about that. And of course, some of these other questions, I think they're most, this is just my take on this whole mergers and acquisition regarding private equities and DSOs. For the most part, most of the clients, when they're asking me, if they're, of course, they have the dollar signs running in their head. But the other part of it is the work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of their time goes into the management part of running a practice. And a lot of times, you know, especially with the increased turnover or, you know, just meeting some of the benchmarks that can't apply right now because of the increased compensation, you know, nationwide. They're just constantly stressed in even just today, like I had a call with a client that just lost a lot of people and they just don't know what they're doing or what can be done differently. And they're at a point where this is like, you know, maybe I should just sell the practice or maybe I should just go back to being an associate. Yeah, I, I hear that when they're frustrated is when they think about selling. Sure. You know, it, does that still work with you guys? I mean, you're going to inherit a practice that just lost a few employees. You're going to go in there and help them and hire everybody up and buy the practice. You yeah. do that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. it, but there there is a benchmark for us. So we we typically look for a practice that has a minimum of five operatories and a minimum of seven hundred in collections. We're probably one of the only DSOs that have a, has the lowest criteria of that. But we see an opportunity and a niche in the market for doctors at that level, right? And then of course we want to grow up from there. But going back to your point of why doctors are getting frustrated and they wish they could have a better work-life balance. It is a struggle out there for, for a lot of doctors, especially today, post-COVID, you know, trying to hire a hygienist at $55, $60 an hour. That eats into their overhead, especially if they're a PPO office, their reverse, reimbursement schedule isn't, isn't even where close to support a hygienist. So then what do you, so, yeah, so then what do you, what do you have? You have dentists that are picking up doing hygiene in their practice because they can't pay for for a hygienist. So it has turned the world a little topsy-turvy, the dental world, if you may, in in that regard. So it is a challenge for them. So yeah, I I see 
I, I get a lot of calls when I'm trying to flush out the opportunity to see what their motivation is in selling and it eventually will come out. On top of it, I will tell you that today you have what 58, 62% of graduating students coming from dental school are women. Typically women want to practice five to seven years and then stay at home. That's putting a need on doctors selling their practice because there's not a need for other dentists to buy them. And then on top of it, what we're seeing is the millennial generation doesn't want to own a business. They want to just do dentistry. They, they want to come in and be done at the end of the day. So for the older doctors, for the 60 plus that are looking to transition and have an exit strategy themselves, it's becoming harder and harder and harder for them to do it. Look, DSOs have emerged because of that. We're fulfilling a need. And, you know, I would say when I started back in 2019, there were 110, 120 DSOs. Today, there's only 250, 270 DSOs nationwide. So just in four years, you can see the growth in the DSOs just explode because there's a need out there. Yeah, I think about 60% of those are in Texas. Oh, it is. I mean, literally, yeah. no, I think no, no, there's yeah. 160 or so in Texas. Yeah, it's a very yeah. competitive market here. Yeah. Absolutely, no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the structure of the deal. My other question was on the earnout. Yeah. So you've got the, the cash up front. Yep. You've got the rollover equity yep. and the earnout. Yep. So what do they have to do to collect on the earnout? So there's 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 two ways we look at it. It's either through what's called a collection hurdle. So if we partnered with a doctor at a million dollars, let's say, and that's what he was doing revenue wise, we just would expect him to keep hitting a million dollars year over year to get his earnout money. Either that or we tie it to what's called an EBITDA note, and EBITDA is the profitability. So if you're looking at EBITDA, I don't have to tell a CPA sitting across from me, but it's, it's, <laughs> it's total gross revenue minus all expenses. It's a very simple way of looking at it. So if the EBITDA, let's say on a million dollars, is 20%, that's $200,000, we have him hit $200,000 year over year to get that money. We do something quite unique that a lot of other DSOs don't do. We call it a catch-up clause. And basically what that states is, is that Let's say the doctor doesn't hit the 80th percentile of 200,000 for one year. I'll take COVID as an example because it's, it's a great example. Uh, let's say I partnered with a doctor in 2019, 2020 came and giving you the same scenario in revenue, he didn't hit, he had 150,000 in EBITDA. So just for that one year, he would not get his earnout money. Let's say in year two, he did the same thing. And even let's say in year three, he did the same thing and we had him on a five-year structured deal. In year four, he got back up to 200000 Just got back up to it. Don't ha you don't have to go over it by a certain amount. Just get back up to the break-even part. All the money he missed out on year one, year two, and year three would retroactively get paid with interest in full. So with, with interest? With interest. Because it's called our catch-up clause. We don't hold anything against the doctor. I mean, and how I can say it is just stuff happens in life. COVID happened. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't our fault. It just happened. I mean, and the doctor, let's say, could get you know, get very ill or have a broken arm or whatever, not be in the practice for six months, that could cost him not to hit his revenue hurdle or even a note. And if he doesn't, he still has that opportunity to make it up. With a lot of the other DSOs out there, you either hit it or you lose it. And what I've seen with a lot of the other ones out there is you have to hit maybe a hundred and something percent. Correct. You have to go over what it, it was when you sold it. So yep. Uh, that's interesting to hear that you guys are just looking for the 100%. That's great. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. just get back up to break even. They'll go over by 10, 20, 30%, whatever it may be. That's exactly right. Good, yeah. good. We try, we try, really try and be fair by the doctor and do, and do right by the doctor. No. Yeah. Okay. One more question. Do you have like your own team of employees? Let's say if somebody just decides to quit, 
or you know at a practice or like it yeah, like where do you find new employees that's through, because everybody's having yeah. a problem with that you know yeah no it's 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 the same for everybody through temp agencies through staffing agencies you know if we have for instance maybe a, a cluster of dentists in an area and we need let's say an office manager had given notice but we have an office manager just down the road could she split time to where we found somebody Sure. Just come okay. in and help and pick up. And so we may rob from Peter to pay Paul that way just to make sure that temporarily, it, temporarily, okay. right, until we find somebody. But again, listen, it's a struggle for everybody. I'm not I'm not going to excuse ourselves and say, we're, you know, we're doing any better than anybody else. But the one advantage that we do have is if a doctor can't provide a 401k or can't provide health insurance or can't provide certain things, we can as a company. And that's what we do. So that the extra benefits that we're able to provide to uh, any team member goes a little bit farther than what a doctor sometimes So you do provide a 401k? Absolutely. We don't match today, but we provide a 401k that they can uh, contribute to. Okay. I misunderstood earlier because you were talking about profit sharing. You said you don't do that, but you do a 401k. We do, yeah. And you do health insurance. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I was using that example. Some doctors offer 401k and some doctors match. Yeah. Right. Right. And so we don't match. And so if I'm looking at the wage benefit analysis, I have to see what they're matching in order to make that up. Sure. Yeah. There's certain benefits that they may offer. Heck, we, you know, we offer, I think, a better P. PTO structure than most dentists do. If you're a senior employee, a senior team member with it with that doctor for ten years or more, you get up to four weeks of vacation with us a year. Okay. Okay. And you're grandfathered in. I'm not sure we want our listeners grandma- to hear that. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> good information. Yeah. Well, that is definitely good information. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on our episode today, Todd. No, oh, you're so very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Sure, absolutely. Appreciate you being here on such short notice. Yep, yep, yes. anytime. I'd love to come back. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond by Wings on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at e and associates.com.